0: The ripple effect that water has on life is major because it impacts your health, it impacts then your ability to go to work, to attend school, so your education. Your opportunity to get out of poverty if you're stuck in poverty, it's a fundamental right and we tend to forget it when we have access to it on a daily basis.
1: Welcome to Radio Davos, the podcast from the World Economic Forum that looks at the biggest challenges and how we might solve them. This week we're at the UN Water Conference in New York, hearing from entrepreneurs determined to find ways to solve the huge challenges related to water.
2: Getting water from air has a huge potential because the amount of fresh water in the atmosphere is six times that of all rivers around the world.
1: From pulling water from the air in Kenya to redesigning what we do with runoff from buildings in Canada.
3: The path to clean water starts where the rain falls. We have built our cities trying to manage rainfall as wastewater. It's time change our perspective on rainfall to one of a circular economy of rain. The UN Water Conference is the first of its kind for 50 years and has been compared to the Paris
1: climate cop. But can it be more than blah blah? These entrepreneurs hope so. The
0: UN Water Conference, you know, I think it's fantastic to see water having a stronger stage, but this needs to lead to something.
1: Subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts or visit wef.ch slash podcasts. I'm Robin Pomeroy at the World Economic Forum and with this view from entrepreneurs attending the UN Water Summit. Water is in deep trouble. This is Radio Davos and this is UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres opening the Water Conference in New York.
3: Water is humanity's lifeblood. From the food we eat to the ecosystems and biodiversity that enrich our world. To the prosperity that sustains nations, to the economic engines of agriculture, manufacturing, and energy generation, to our health, hygiene, and survival itself. Water is a human right and the common development denominator to shape a better future. But water is in deep trouble.
1: On today's Radio Davos, we're going to New York, where the UN Water Conference is underway. It's the first United Nations water conference in almost five decades. And they're trying to solve the problem of water. Do we have enough water? Is it safe? Is it equitable? There are billions of people who just can't access the water they need. So what is this conference all about? Well, joining us from New York right now is my colleague Laura Beltran. Laura, how are you?
4: I'm good, Robin. Thank you.
1: Delighted to have you here. How's New York looking today? What kind of time of day is it? Is is the sun up yet?
4: Um, I haven't looked outside by yet. (laughs) It's (laughs) 7 a.m. my time, so I guess, uh, yes, the sun is out.
1: You're usually based in Geneva, where I am now, but you've gone out to New York. Why have you gone there? What are you doing there?
4: Well, I'm part of the Uplink team supporting here the innovators from our community who are attending the UN Water Conference. So
1: You're part of the Uplink team. Regular listeners to Radio Davos will have heard of Uplink because we've featured them before. But just remind us what Uplink is. It's part of the World Economic Forum, but what does it do exactly?
4: Well, Uplink is the open innovation platform of the World Economic Forum. And by open, we mean that we welcome all entrepreneurs from around the globe addressing the world's most difficult challenges. So from plastics to energy to forests and now, of course, water. So what we do is we work with partners and multiple actors across different sectors to run challenges and we identify the most promising solutions in specific areas. Then we connect the winners of these challenges to a whole network of people and organizations from the public sector, private sector, investors and academia. So we build connections and bridges bridges for them to help them scale.
1: And so you've got a number of Uplink innovators they're with you in New York. Tell us about what you're doing with them in New York.
4: Yes, so we brought to this conference 14 innovators as part of our Ocopreneur Innovation Initiative, which focuses of course on water. So we have entrepreneurs tackling the water scarcity and water insecurity problems in very different ways. From, for example, uh, two of our innovators work in the sustainable desalination space, making pure drinking water from the ocean, other solutions working the nexus between water and food e- and food security, uh, working with fishermen and farmers, and um, other startups see wastewater as a resource.
1: Okay, so you've been talking to them. Yesterday, I know you. I think you interviewed all of them. And you spoke to all of them, and you're going to bring us just a, a, a selection here on this. I think three entrepreneurs we're going to talk about to give an idea of the kinds of things business people and entrepreneurs can do with new ideas um, to try and solve some of the water problems. So I'd like you to introduce the three people you've uh, interviewed for us and we're going to start I believe in Kenya. Who's the entrepreneur from Kenya who we're going to hear from now?
4: Her name is Beth Koigi. So she is an entrepreneur that funded Mahik Water. It's a startup that creates devices that use the atmosphere, actually, to create pure drinking water. So she's going to talk a lot about uh, uh, the situation of water in Kenya and why the atmosphere is ideal uh, in regions with drought
2: and uh, water scarcity.
1: Let's hear from her.
2: The population of Kenya is 51 million. And 56% of that population do not have adequate access to clean drinking water. And actually 80% of all the landmass in Kenya is arid or semi-arid regions. That means these are desert-like climatic conditions. And in the past few years, we've been receiving less and less rainfall. That means that our natural water reservoirs uh, have reduced in their levels. Things like lakes and rivers have reduced in their water level, and this has impacted communities in a big way. When you have less water, you have more water contaminations. That means you have more spread of waterborne diseases, such as cholera. And actually, when we are experiencing drought, we have more cholera outbreaks. Um, We also experience economic challenges, such as people do not do their farming. And this translates to food insecurity uh, and many other challenges. And have any
4: of these challenges impacted you personally or somebody you know?
2: Water issues is not something very new to many Kenyans. Like everybody has a story of, you know, the times they have gotten one or two waterborne diseases. Like even for myself, I grew up getting amoeba, and you thought that is something that is normal, but it's not. And one of the fun facts about my co founder when she came to Kenya, she actually got cholera within the first one month. And these are cases that are quite rampant, and especially when we are facing the drought crisis. So you find even most of the children below five years, they actually get waterborne diseases. And actually, this is quite common. Like in a year, your child gets somewhat a waterborne disease. But over and above bacteria contamination and other uh, microbial contaminants, we have a unique challenge where our water has very high levels of fluoride and arsenic. So all our groundwater have high levels of fluoride and arsenic and actually you can't consume that water directly. So you either have to use reverse osmosis um, and over time because you know contamination is becoming more and more, uh, it's becoming actually really hard to filter groundwater. So
4: let's dive deeper into your solution because you untap one of the, let's say largest resources on earth, the atmosphere. So why the atmosphere and uh, what is the process you use to create water from air?
2: Getting water from air has a huge potential because the amount of fresh water in the atmosphere is six times that of all rivers around the world in volume. So this is a huge water resource that can actually create uh, drinkable water to communities in need. That's why we started looking at air as a source of clean drinking water, and especially in places that experience physical water scarcity. And the way magic water devices work, currently we are using condensation where we pass air through these fans Uh, so air is pulled in into the device through these huge fans and then it's passed through the condensing chambers where the humidity is condensed into these water droplets and then we collect that Um, and then we have to pass that into filtration system just to remove any microorganism that may have grown in the device and this is Just a quality measure and a regulation. But currently, all Magic Water devices use solar energy. So we do solar installations for our devices.
4: And how do you deploy these devices? can you give the
2: audience a sense of how much water they're able to produce? So I'll start by, we have three types of devices. One is 25 liters of water per day device, and this is a household device. And then we have 120 liters uh, per day device. This is for a larger household. And then we have 500 liters per day device. And this is more of like a small community devices. So most of our installations, we do installations mostly in schools and hospitals uh, because we actually need to install the devices in a place where they are managed and they are owned but mostly we work with local or international NGOs to do this installation so uh, an in example we have done an installation in one of the uh, biggest slums in Africa that is Kibera where one over 500 litre per day device is being used by 650 students for their clean drinking water So we also do install small devices in households, but mostly our devices are being used for drinking. So cumulatively, all our devices are producing over 200,000 litres of water per month. We have around 35 devices installed, and we have around 1,900 beneficiaries in total. The way our devices have impacted and what we have seen, and especially in the present few months, is that you know when we have been experiencing drought extreme drought condition a lot of people were left with no option so uh, most of the water vendors have actually limited the amount of water you can buy and it reached a point where in those regions that we have done installations actually other people have been now or the larger community have been coming to get water from these places So these are cases that we've seen. The larger communities now are getting their drinking water from these institutions and these schools. And this we have seen in the current drought situation that is happening in Kenya.
4: And now we're here in the middle of the UN conference in New York, and people are recognizing that water is a pressing issue, and they're trying to find ways of solving this pressing challenge. So from your perspective, Beth, where should we start? how can we solve this water crisis?
2: I think the first thing first, uh, it's water resource management. I think our rivers and lakes should be managed a bit more. The thing that they can do immediately and very quickly is to manage these water resources that we have, um, manage them well, make sure they are not contaminated. For example, the Nairobi River—that's where all the industries in Nairobi throw their their refuse water. So a lot of water that ha- it's from the industries that is polluted, that has not been recycled or you know proper treated, is put back into the Nairobi River, which is one of the biggest rivers. Uh, and this is you know one of the major causes of water scarcity. The rivers, the big rivers that we have are highly contaminated. So drinking that water is actually very toxic.
1: So that was Beth Koigi from Kenya. Her company is Magic Water. Let's move all the way from Kenya to Canada to hear another Uplink innovator in water. Who's our next innovator, Laura?
4: Our next innovator is Kevin Mercer from Canada. Uh, His company is called uh, RainGrid, and he's building systems so uh, property owners and large communities can capture rain to reuse it in our cities. So his idea is to make cities more water-sustainable and water-positive.
3: Green infrastructure or blue infrastructure or or nature-based solutions are relevant in urban centers because we get rain that lands largely on rooftops. So 70% of a city is hard surfaces. Uh, the majority of that is building rooftops, and particularly residential rooftops, uh, which is about 47% of the the gross impermeable area in the city. So this is the the area where if water lands on it, it runs off. Uh, tends to Uh, create a flash flood of hot, fast and dirty water that gets into the sewer system and then discharges into a local river or lake or or nearby marine ecosystem. And what's important about it is that surface water pollution is the number one threat to freshwater ecosystems globally. So when we take rooftops offline um, by harvesting the rain and reusing it or putting it back in the groundwater table, we are recharging the base ground flow that urban rivers no longer get because the city is so uh, impervious. Or we recharge the ability of individuals to use rainwater in place of potable water, which is very energy intensive and hence has a a high carbon footprint and, and a significant cost for people and cities as well.
4: And what was your dream? What was um, the vision you had for green infrastructure when you were coming up with the idea for your innovation?
3: We wanted to see um, property-based retention and reuse systems as a network, serving the needs of communities for the amelioration of uh, Urban runoff, which is uh, often the uh, number one source of pluvial flooding, and the uh, the source of uh, runoff that that keeps groundwater from being recharged in cities.
4: Yes, and with climate change and all the things we're facing today, all the challenges, these systems are just not fit for purpose. And you are tackling that issue with uh, groundbreaking technology. So tell us. What is your technology, and how is it so powerful for what we need today in our cities?
3: Well, green infrastructure reached a certain level of acceptability, um, particularly uh, cisterns on private property. And uh, it was discovered that while people may put them in, they don't maintain them. And uh, often in terms of stormwater capture and runoff prevention, If a a cistern is full, it's not doing its job to prevent stormwater runoff. So we were looking for something that would replace the community-based social marketing campaigns that we used to do. And artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things combined gave us that tool to take the responsibility for the maintenance of um, cisterns on private property out of the hands of the property owner. So the artificial intelligence reads a regional weather forecast. It then correlates that to the roof area of the house and the volume of available storage in the cistern. And then when the predicted rainfall is less, or sorry, when the predicted rainfall on that area of roof is greater than the the volume of available storage in the cistern, the AI and the IoT work together, so it's like the the brain and the and the body, um, they work together. So the sensors in the cistern uh, open a valve uh, on the cistern, and it drains out that much uh, water to the groundwater table recharge that we need to. Um, open up the area within the cistern to store the subsequent rainfall that's going to be coming. Our goal is net zero runoff from properties. We've changed the the whole notion of what it is to take rain off rooftops and retain it on a property as a network. Um, we no longer see rain harvesting as I harvest this rain and I reuse it on my property for my own purposes, it's now a larger community version or vision of what we want cities to become, and this is circular. So this is the circular economy of rain, and that whole notion of installing infrastructure or a nature-based solution, or a combination of those two, where we the outcome is the Uh, resilience of the property, the resilience of the community and the resilience of the larger city and ecosystem.
4: What economic benefits would bring using your technology in our cities? Why does does it make business sense?
3: Aggregated rain grade outcome networks are built to monetize the value in what has previously been a wastewater resource, which is rainfall runoff. By capturing it, for retention and reuse we can monetize the outcomes that have been allowed to go squandered stormwater retention credits ecosystem restoration credits we can take scope 2 ghg credits off so every time we retain water and reuse it or recharge the aquifer with it we're generating value in terms of market outcomes that we haven't, to this uh, point in, in the, in the uh, practice of cities, taken the opportunity to, uh, to recognize and that we're seeing cities move towards the achievement of building infrastructure networks on private property um, because they can be installed, operated and maintained at a lower unit cost and at a greater outcome than conventional centralized infrastructure. So the future is distributed, the future is collaborative.
4: The future is collaborative now. On that note, um, you are here in New York as part of the Ablink delegation of Ocopreneurs attending the UN Water Conference. So what is the main message you would like leaders to take from this conference?
3: The path to clean water starts where the rain falls, is the most important message I can give. We have built our cities, we have expended very huge sums of money trying to manage rainfall as wastewater. It's time to change our perspective on rainfall to one of a circular economy of rain that finds the value for the individual property owners and for the community at large of not wasting water, not creating polluted runoff, and of restructuring our cities so that we create a circular economy of the most precious resource we have. Kevin Mercer, the president and co-founder of Rain Grid Inc. in Canada.
1: I mean, just those two uh, interviews, Laura, show us, you know, kind of completely different problems facing us across the world. And our third one, we're going to go to Latin America via Switzerland because I believe the company is Swiss but works at the moment, mostly in Latin America. And we're back looking at dangerous, poisoned, toxic water and how... That problem can be tackled. Tell us about this entrepreneur.
4: Yes, so Laura Stocco is CTO and co-founder of OpenVersum. This is a Swiss uh, startup. And their technology is a filtration system that uh, uh, brings water security for people in Latin America, but also empowers them to become entrepreneurs through this uh, through a sort of um, micro-franchising business model. So it's very interesting.
1: Let's hear from... Laura Stocko.
0: I think the biggest misunderstanding about water is the actual impact that not having it creates and the impact that, let's say, the, the ripple effect that having it creates. When we have access to safe water and we don't have to question it, we tend to forget that the only replacement to water is water. There is simply no other solution. And the ripple effect that water has on life is major because it impacts your health, it impacts then your ability to go to work, to attend school, so your education, your opportunity to get out of poverty if you're stuck in poverty. And that's really, it's a fundamental right that we have that is in the fundamental human rights. And we tend to forget it when we have access to it on a daily basis.
4: And you target rural communities in Latin America, right? These are hard to reach communities. How do you get to them? What is the technology you use?
0: We're addressing the lack of access to safe drinking water, mostly in rural areas, in Latin America and across the entire globe. So we created the drinking water filter that is equipped with a membrane that is undergoing a patented manufacturing process. So to create that membrane... We don't need to use all of the toxic chemicals that are typically used in a membrane manufacturing, which allows it to make it very cheap and efficient. So through that, we created this drinking water filter that combines different layers of removal that helps remove not only pathogens, but also heavy metals and pesticides. But this filter comes at a very low cost for very, very high efficiency, and that makes it available for populations who right now cannot access such technology.
4: What I find fascinating about your solution is that you also create entrepreneurs in rural areas through this micro-franchising business model you have. Can you speak a little bit about that? How did this idea of turning people in rural areas into
0: entrepreneurs come to be? So we are a team of engineers, and so we develop many technologies. You know, that's our job. But we realized there are so many water treatment technologies that exist today, and the problem is still there. So there's an issue, technology is simply not sufficient. So we looked at what are the hurdles to implementation. And a major one that I've actually noticed in the field a lot is a lack of local expertise. You don't have anyone who's been trained to repair those technologies, to maintain them, and they end up being misused or just unused, and then you're back to the state you were in before. So. We realize that by creating ownership of the product in the beneficiaries, so the people buying the filter, but also in the person having to maintain it, we can ensure a sustainable solution because it's to the benefit of everybody for this to be maintained economically and health-wise. I think our greatest asset, actually, of the micro-franchise is our scalability because we digitalize every micro-franchising process on a digital platform that our entrepreneurs can use. They can record the sales. they can track their impact and monitor it. But most importantly, it's a big capacity building tool and a big network. So our entrepreneurs are just put in touch with each other. They get access to water knowledge, business knowledge, and basically we we foster entrepreneurship in our communities. And Because we don't have to be physically present and our local entrepreneurs know better than anyone how to reach their own local communities, we can expand really fast and grow big because there's two billion people who lack access to safe drinking water. We're starting in Latin America, but then we have to move to Africa, to Southeast Asia, where millions are waiting.
4: I'm sure you have many positive stories to share, but is there one in particular that makes you proud, that shows how your technology is making a positive change in the lives and livelihoods of these communities?
0: So we met that, uh, that woman Maria in Colombia, and it was quite emotional. We... We went to households and we did these water quality uh, tests together with the households so women could test the water quality of the water they were giving to their children and then see whether they were contaminated with E. coli. And when the results came back and they saw that it was, uh, Maria, she just, she cried. She, She cried so much because she said, I can't believe I'm giving this to my children and I don't have another choice. She does her best, you know, they have to go fetch the water at the river next door and then they store it in containers and hoping that it will get better. And having our filter, she's now safe. Her children are safe. And that's the kind of story that that yeah that really moves me. And our entrepreneurs in, in Ecuador actually asked us very quickly, can you give us some other products that we could micro-franchise? It's, it's a great way to empower our communities. We want more. And yeah, that's very inspiring.
4: And you are attending the UN Water Conference as part of the Ablink delegation of entrepreneurs What do you think should be priority for all
0: stakeholders today? I think a priority should be fostering partnerships that actually take actions, because we see a lot of movement right now also with the UN Water Conference. You know, I think it's fantastic to see water having a stronger stage right now, but this needs to lead to something, and even though water can be a local issue, it's at a global scale. (laughs) If it makes sense, it's globally local. Yeah, I think something that's very important is to find these localized solutions that can be globalized, because water is a global issue, but it's gonna be so different depending on where you are and who you are and which access to water you have, which technologies are available in the country. So I think it really comes to everybody coming together, investing in those maybe what can look like niche innovation or very local solutions to scale them up.
1: Laura Stocco, the co-founder of OpenVersum, based in Switzerland, but working there in Latin America. Really interesting, the point she makes that the technologies there are water filter. There are lots of different ways we can filter water. But the, the very important thing that she's emphasizing there is getting local people involved in the distribution, the marketing, the selling of of these products.
4: That's correct. And um, all entrepreneurs need support. They need a network, a community uh, where people from all different backgrounds um, and all different sectors can come together and uh, help them scale because the solutions are there, as Laura said. The solutions are there. We just we just need support to um, make them scale and have a true impact in different uh, parts of the world.
1: I mean, that's it. I mean, I I guess that's kind of goes to the heart of some of what Uplink does, isn't it? It's about the business aspect. That people are being entrepreneurs, they're making money from these solutions, but they're tackling these big problems?
4: So we brought him here, really, because uh, we find true value in these connections that we can make for them. So we actually have run some sessions where they meet each other, but also different stakeholders to find points of collaboration and commonalities. And uh, it's really good that, you know, we have this power of uh, Putting them in connection with each other to help them scale because that's what they need. They need a support system for, for from very different uh, backgrounds that uh, can help them uh, scale their solutions and reach more people in need.
1: Great. Okay. Well, Laura, thanks so much for joining us today for all the way from New York, very early in the morning where you are. Um, where can people find out more about UpLink?
4: We have a digital platform, so people can uh, go online to uplink.weforum.org and uh, find more about us there. Uh, Just Google uplink and you'll find all about us. And you can also go on social media at uh, web uplink.
1: And if you want to hear more podcasts about the water crisis or other major problems that we're trying to find solutions to look for Radio Davos you can google that or you can go to wef.ch slash podcasts they're all on there and is meet the leader which also has a couple of great episodes about water this week Laura Beltran in New York thanks very much for joining us
4: thank you Robin
1: Please subscribe to Radio Davos wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or a review. And join the conversation about podcasts on the World Economic Forum Podcast Club. Look for that on Facebook. This episode of Radio Davos was presented by me, Robin Pomeroy, with reporting by Laura Beltran. Studio production was by Gareth Nolan. We'll be back next week.
3: But for now, thanks to you for listening. And goodbye.